Hey guys, it's Nora Princiati. And I'm Nathan Hubbard. And we're back with another season of Every Single Album. This time, we're talking about one of the best-selling boy bands of all time, One Direction. Their story is a fascinating look at both the commercial and human sides of being a young artist. We'll be breaking down every single One Direction album and then exploring the careers of Harry Styles, Niall Horan, and the rest of the band after their 2015 split, leading up to the release of Harry's new album on May 20th. And we've got some fun new categories, Nora. Including the most swoon-inducing lyrics. And the suckiest ones. The peak moments for each band member and who won the album. We even got a brand new game. So, calling all Directioners, Harry's, and more, Join us on the Every Single Album feed starting April 11th, every Monday and Thursday. On Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is Monday, April 11th, and we are here. Today we're going to be talking with my Monday morning quarterback, Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. We're going to break down this weekend's box office. It was a really interesting weekend. We had one movie that did extremely well, and we had another that crashed and burned, and we'll get into all of it and what it means for the box office as it comes back. We are not going to be talking about Will Smith, unfortunately. Um, I'm kind of not done with that story, but I, I want to take a little break. He got punished on Friday. You probably heard 10 years. He's not allowed to attend the Oscars, participate in any Academy activities. Um, I think that's kind of a, it's an okay punishment. I would have liked to see them ban him from being nominated for 10 years, because I think that's the real punishment. That's what actors actually want. They don't really care about going to the Oscars or not going to the Oscars. It's almost like it, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it would be a punishment to make him go to the Oscars every year for 10 years. But they did what they did. People have mixed feelings about it. We'll move on. We'll see what they're going to do. All right, so let's go into my conversation with Lucas. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, I'm here with Lucas Shaw. Lucas runs the media entertainment group at Bloomberg. He's our Monday morning quarterback. We are here to talk about the weekend box office. Pretty big weekend, actually. And it's, I think it's a, a sign of where we are in Hollywood, where we had a giant success in the Sonic the Hedgehog sequel, which grossed $71 million. Um, I took the over on Thursday night. I'm pretty proud of myself, Craig. Uh, I'm, I'm now two for two on my weekend predictions. Did Lost City, and now I did the Sonic movie. But then at the same time, we had Michael Bay's Ambulance, which grossed $8.7 million, uh, lowest of his career. I picture Michael Bay sitting in his gold-plated mansion in Miami, crying into his Transformers pillow. Um, You're three for three, Matt, because you said Ambulance would struggle to reach double digits. I did, I did, although I was a little more generous than I thought. I, I think I said it might get to 10 and probably would, but... 
Nope, did not. So, Lucas, what do you think this says about where we are in the state of the box office recovery? I have opinions about this, but I'm curious yours. Well, the the performance of Sonic is really big news for Hollywood because you know family movies, along with and kind of animated movies, along with the big superhero movies, have, have been kind of one of the two really reliable sources of of audience and revenue. Um, you know pre-pandemic. But during the pandemic, the audience for those family movies completely dried up. And it was clear that there was still appetite for them, just people were watching them at home, which you saw with a movie like Encanto, which did pretty mediocre in the box office and then exploded uh, at at home. You had other movies that didn't have that same explosion at home because they didn't have the same outlet on streaming. And so, you know, you look across the industry, Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, all these studios rely, Universal, all rely on animated movies, and this should give them some confidence. You know, you look back, one of my favorite animated movies of the pandemic was Mitchell's versus Machines. That only got on Netflix because Sony didn't think it could release it in theaters. Right. I, I think you're right. I think I think animated and family-oriented movies are sort of back. They're in the category of movies that can still work in theaters. Parents need some place to take their kids. And it's horror, it's superhero, it's, you know, for the right movies, something like the Lost City will get an audience of older women who, um, who, you know, love Sandra Bullock and will turn out. But I think on the other side, this, um, you know, original action movie, I think it's really tough to get people excited about something they've never heard of before. And granted, this was only a $40 million, they say, Michael Bay movie. This was not a Transformers-style extravaganza, but it was marketed as an action movie that you know you had to see in theaters, and people just didn't. Yeah, I mean, look, Michael Bay was one of the most reliable directors throughout the 1990s and early 2000s. And then he started doing the Transformers movies, which I think... Had, continued or cemented his reputation as a really reliable filmmaker. But his original movies or movies outside of the Transformers franchise haven't done that well in in a long time, I would say. I mean, when is the last original Michael Bay movie that you would consider a, a huge hit? Uh, original? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, we, we probably... I mean, the Benghazi movie, no. Pain and Gain, no. Before that, are you looking at it? I'm looking at it. It would probably be... Armageddon in 1998. Wow, quality film. Because after that, Pearl Harbor, which made a lot of money, but if I remember, was not considered a huge success at the yeah. time. Bad Boys 2 sequel, The Island, which was did not do well. A bunch mm. of Transformers movies, Pain and Gain, 13 Hours. And then he had Six Underground on Netflix, which you know did well by the 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 Netflix numbers. But my understanding, you know, nobody involved in that is exactly thrilled with how that movie came together. Have you ever seen that movie? Six Underground? I did not watch it. It, it is one of the worst and most ridiculous movies you will ever see. There is an extended 15 minute opening sequence that is like a parody of a Michael Bay movie. And, and the only interesting character, James Franco, or you know, it was Dave Franco, the only interesting character then dies. Uh, so I would not recommend that one. Well, that was the first in a string of those those Netflix kind of big budget action movies, which weirdly enough, some people are are now starting to like blame for the underperformance of Ambulance and other movies in theaters, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because people are so used to seeing them on Netflix? Yeah, I just think it's, sure, I, I guess there's some logic to if you can get it at home, why would you go to the theater to see it? But if there's a, it, it sort of feels like a false point. If there was a movie that people really wanted to go see in theaters, they'd go see it. This is just not a movie that moved people. I want to see it. 
Yeah, I kind of want to see it. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. But um, yeah, that's to me that it's it just shows where we are in the box office that if it's not pre-branded or targeted to a very specific niche that is a proven frequenter of movies, it's going to be a really uphill battle. And even though this is a big, nice result this weekend and we've got other big movies coming, a Harry Potter movie, we've got, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff planned for April and May. The box office for the year is probably still going to be way down compared to 2019 and we're going to see what the repercussions of that is for all the theaters. Yeah, uh, what th- I I saw so far it's uh it's it's not that far off 2019 though, right? Cuz you've had I mean especially cuz of Spider-Man. If you look at the numbers that you know year to date through April 10th, the theatrical business is still down about 40% from 2019. And that's mostly because People were reluctant over January and February to go to theaters because of Omicron and also because most of these big movies were pushed. There's usually a big January MLK weekend movie. There wasn't. You know, there's usually a big President's Weekend movie. And these movies kept getting pushed. So I don't I don't look too closely at the year to year. I'm much more interested long term in the 2023 box office and where that goes, because that'll be really the first year of quote unquote normal. Although I am you can do sort of seasonal comparisons. And so I will want to see how this summer, say, compares to the summer before, because you have a couple of Marvel movies coming. You have the, the you know, the Top Gun movie that Paramount's been holding forever. You have a Jurassic Park movie. You have a lot coming out this summer that should be big if people are willing to go to the theater. Question for you. You are millennial. I am Gen X. Do you care about Top Gun? Not really. I don't... I. I don't. Oh, that stabs me in the heart. I I will go see it, but I don't care about it. And I will admit, I have been. I'm surprised by just how optimistic Paramount is about that movie. I mean, that's because all of their executives are Gen X people like me, and they really want to see it. And I'm I'm telling everyone it's going to be the biggest Paramount movie ever. And <laughs> I'm now wondering if anyone under you know 40 cares about this. Yeah, look, I'm. You, you shouldn't use me as a stand-in for an entire generation. Both because Craig, I go Craig, to way do you more care movies. About it? Craig, do you care about Top Gun? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think mainly just because there aren't a lot of these movies that come out anymore. I feel like this is a big deal, and these just don't happen that much anymore. So yeah, I'll see it. Also, Top Gun. The original Top Gun is now on Netflix, so you can go and get pumped up. The original it. Top Gun's not that good. We can all say. Oh, that. stop! Stop! <laughs> it is. It is excellent. Are you kidding me? It is excellent. See, I think it's going to depend on on word of mouth and reviews a bit. It's going to be, there's going to be a, an audience that will go to see that movie no matter what, and you are clearly in it. But if you want to get me and and I've, I think a, a younger generation that has a slightly weaker tie to it, I want to know that the movie's good. All right, that's fair. All right, let's uh, let's switch topics here. You know, we saw this past week the MLB season launch. You and I are both MLB fans. Um, I am. I bought your Dodger tickets for next Monday night. I'm excited. It's Will Smith bobblehead night, which is not the Will Smith you're thinking of. The Dodgers have a catcher named Will Smith. So I'm excited for that. But I'm also excited because MLB games are now on Friday nights on Apple TV+. And this is a, another national game window that MLB has carved out here. They had a little bit of a problem during their first game. The Mets game kind of crashed the service. And they're, they're selling advertising during the games, which is kind of a bizarre thing to see on Apple TV+, Plus because they are 
typically a no ads service. Um, explain to us a little bit what's going on here and the MLB strategy for doing this Apple deal and the Peacock deal for Sunday morning games. Well, baseball has more games than any other sport. You know, there are 162 games a year. Uh, they don't have the same quantity or caliber, I'd say, of national games that other sports do. You know, there, there are some games on the weekends on Fox. There's Sunday night baseball and certain night games with ESPN. But the vast majority of baseball games are on regional sports networks. And the business for regional sports networks is, has been in deep trouble over the past several years. And I think you see with, with the league, they, like a lot of the other pro leagues have experimented tr trying to sell rights or li or license rights to tech companies or other companies that they believe will bring in younger listen or younger viewers I should say because baseball more so than any other sport has a huge problem with young people um, and so they've done some experimentation with like Facebook and YouTube where they'll often show midweek games and I just don't think the audience was there for it both because people weren't accustomed to watching games on those platforms and it was a, a pretty undesirable package this year, they've sort of stepped that up a little bit, both in that they're doing deals with streaming services that people actually use. I mean, Peacock and Apple TV Plus are not Netflix and Disney Plus, but they have real audiences. And it's Friday and Sunday, Friday night and then Sunday, which I think is a, a time people will actually watch. And so they're they're trying to bring some other bidders into the market and and some services that I think that they think will cater to to young people. I, I think it's interesting that baseball is still trying to do the national game thing because it's just not a national sport. I know that they have to try and I watch Sunday night games, but I usually will only watch if it's the Yankees and Red Sox or my team. I care about the Dodgers. I, I just don't know. I think that ship has kind of sailed for baseball and in, in it being a national sport. So what would be your solution then? Well, because the, the RSNs are not a great option, especially for people who don't pay for cable. Yeah, I mean, that's what the problem they have is that these are linear networks and they want to reach a younger audience. The thing is, the MLB's own platform is pretty good. ML, you know, the MLB app is great. I, you know, pay my 20 bucks and can listen to radio of all the games. And if I wanted to pay more, I could watch video of, of the games, except for my team and my market, which has my RSN. But, you know, they have to figure out how to dice up all these games. I get why they're doing it, because they have so many games that they can kind of throw a few at Peacock and throw a few at Apple. And the fan, while perhaps being annoyed that they have to sign up for these services to see a Friday night game, are they really going to cut the cord over that? Or are they really going to stop being a fan because the game is on Apple every few weeks? I don't think so. And I think MLB is making that calculation that they can annoy the fans a little bit and bring in some extra revenue and make a play for different audiences um, and still hopefully grow the overall pie. Yeah, I mean, the, the irony, of course, is that baseball, for despite having the, the oldest audience, was the most digitally savvy at first, at least in terms of how they presented their games. I mean, their MLB streaming service was phenomenal even 10, 15 years ago. The only limitation with it was that you had local blackouts, but it was a great way. It was, you know, it was a lot like NBA League Pass, except I would argue better. But then the league and the league did deals with hockey, but then they ended up selling it to Disney and it's sort of the technical backbone for a lot of what Disney does in streaming. And now baseball doesn't have kind of, I would say, as 
as robust or as strong a digital offering, it should be way easier for people to watch games wherever they want to watch them, especially given what what we've discussed with it being a local market. You just you want to make it easier for your fans to watch, especially local fans who will likely pay for whatever the service is. They're in a tough spot, though, because some of these teams, the Dodgers included, their entire operation is funded by this massive linear RSN deal that they have, which is billions and billions of dollars over 20, 25 years. And once you're locked into that, it's really difficult. They're not going to give money back, as we saw with the carriage deals they had where DirecTV wasn't carrying uh, the games because of a carriage dispute. Um, RSN, by the way, means regional sports network. So like your Comcast or Yes or Bally's or whatever your Fox Sports, whatever your local team is on for baseball, that's a regional sports network. And they're owned by various station groups. Some are owned by, you know, uh, Sinclair. Some are owned by all, all these other different people. And it's a really, really tough business right now because the rights fees are so high and the audience is shrinking due to core cutting. Well, and if you think about the, what a, a regional sports network is, it exists almost exclusively to show the sporting event. And so if you don't have that event on, there's no reason for the person to watch the network. And then if that particular sport or team is not a major draw, it really limits your ability to negotiate with with the pay TV operators because during the boom years of, of cable TV, the regional sports network kept asking for higher and higher rates. And then we reached this breaking point with the Dodgers network to some extent with the Yankees network and a couple of these others where the, the pay TV operators started to balk at how much the networks wanted. Yeah, they got greedy and some of these carriers were like, you know what, maybe your sport isn't quite as popular as you think it is and people can survive without the Dodgers channel. Um, so I think these players, these digital players coming into the market is probably the right thing to do. Um, I think they are looking right now, all of these streamers are looking at whatever exclusive sports content they can get. And if you're not going to bid on the NFL like Amazon did or you're, you know, the some of these rights are all locked up. Go after baseball. It's just sitting there. And there, there's no shortage of games for you to buy. Right, right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Lucas. That's Lucas Shaw. He heads the media and entertainment group at Bloomberg. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right. We are back with producer Craig for the call sheet. Today, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. They're both suing each other for defamation. Kicks off in Virginia. It's a pretty ugly case. He's claiming she abused him. She's claiming he abused her. This is coming after he lost a defamation case against the Sun tabloid in the UK, where they called him a wife beater. And he sued and he lost. So he's trying again in Virginia. My prediction, this, this case is going to get tossed or rejected by the jury. I don't think they're going to entertain any claims that Johnny Depp has been defamed by Amber Heard. She wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post that said essentially that she was a victim of domestic abuse, did not name him, but the implication was pretty clear. And I think a jury is going to look at this and be like, you know what? These two have been fighting for years over this stuff. It's not defamation. And I think they're going to get, uh, the case is going to get rejected. Mm. You touched on this a lot more in your, in your newsletter that just came out. Um, on Sunday night, you should plug that because there's yes, yes, yes. We have that. a. I, I write a twice a week newsletter for Puck News, and if you uh, subscribe, you get to read my thoughts and my reporting. It's and very good. Going, it's worth it. A lot of info that I don't know. Producer, producer Craig, number one fan. So uh, 
the what I said essentially is that these two have already basically lost this case because the fighting around it over the past three, four years has really derailed both of their careers. I mean, there was a question as to whether Warner Brothers was going to invite Amber Heard to be in the Aquaman sequel. And they say it was because of a chemistry issue with Jason Momoa. Uh, her team believes that it's because they were afraid of all these allegations against here. Johnny Depp already got fired off of the Fantastic Beast movies because of the decision in the UK case. And, you know, this has really hurt him. And it's all self-inflicted because none of this would have come out had he not sued the tabloid in the UK and had he not sued Amber Heard in Virginia. So, you know, it's tough to feel bad for him. But on his side, he feels like he's doing this to clear his name. He says he's doing it for his kids because he doesn't want them to think that he's a domestic abuser. So it's a really sad situation. I just don't think a jury is going to go there and say that this is defamation. I feel like the ship has sailed for Depp's children on yeah. his reputation. I think shooting Hunter Thompson's ashes out of a cannon and paying $30,000 a month on wine um, probably changed your, the opinion that they have of their dad as a normal person. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it. Thank you to Lucas Shaw for joining us. Thanks to producer Craig Horlbeck. And thank you to you for listening. We will see you Wednesday. Wednesday.